0: Y'all doing all right this morning? Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for another day to be in your house. God, we thank you for your word and how true it is. God, everything inside my flesh wants to fight against it. God, bring it under submission. It all starts with our hearts, Father. And Father, we surrender those to you this morning, and we demonstrate it so in the way that we give generously to your glory, that you be praised and lifted up. In Christ's holy name I pray, amen. A couple of things to keep you mindful of this morning. Number one, I think that today is the last day you can register for the Woven Conference and get a t-shirt. Is that right? So you can can register for the Woven Conference right up until the the conference starts, but if you would like to get a t-shirt, then you have to register for the Woven Conference today. So if you're sitting in the room and you're like, I've already taken care of that, think of someone who may not have, and maybe reach out to them and just, hey, wanted to let you know just in case you weren't aware, so that they can be ready as well. Also, I want to keep you mindful of the five-year anniversary celebration that's coming up October the 22nd uh, at Banning Mills. Uh, We're going to have a lunch out there, dinner on the grounds, amen, (laughs) and uh, just spend time with one another, but you can also hike and enjoy Putt-Putt. You can sign up to do their ropes courses as well. You You need to be getting ahead on that if you go into the church center app um you can click on that date and register for that event i uh have you ever <clears throat> experienced something So many times that you took for granted that there was anything new to experience. And then when you did, it kind of just shook you up some kind of way. I have always thought that the passage of Scripture that we're moving into this morning was to help me deal with my worry and anxiety. And God showed me something this week that I'll be honest with you, I'm nervous about what it means for our church. I mean, just to be raw with you this morning, if our church isn't going to stand for what God desired, designed, and commissioned it to stand for, then I'm not sure what we're doing. And I think that you'll see the dilemma, the opportunity we face as we work through this. But up until this week, I've always thought this was a passage about anxiety and worry. I would go here and I would read these passages and come from the perspective solely of I'm worried, I'm anxious, God, show me how this can be addressed, show me how I can overcome this. As a matter of fact, if you have a Bible with headings, the NASB, the the, the, the heading for this section is the cure for anxiety. The heading for this section in the NIV is do not worry. The thing that caught my attention, though, this week is the way Jesus begins this this thought. He says, for this reason. Now, if you're looking at this Bible in the one that you have before you, uh, I'm not sure how the app has it laid out. Most of that is just copy and paste straight from the translation that's in print. So, I would assume that Jesus says no one can serve two masters in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. That's where the thought potentially in our brains is going to be designed. We're going to think it ends there because there's a heading above the next section and splits it and divides it. The reality, though, is Jesus says, For no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason, I say to you, Matthew chapter 6, if you're not there, get there, verse 25. This thought continues. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. This idea that if you can understand what it means to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, for this reason, do not be worried because you're no longer serving the, 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 the thing that is not eternal. You're now devoted to the thing that is eternal. And therefore, worry is taken care of when you know the future. Because that's where worry is based. So Jesus says, for this reason, because you are choosing to serve the correct master, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. I mean, I'll be honest with you. That's a pretty good remedy for common everyday worry and anxiety, right? Let me just, here's what I like the way a friend of mine worded it. Look around. How do you deal with worrying and anxiety in your life? Man, look around. What do you see when you look around? I see my wife. I see my children. I see shelter. I see God's provision. I see the people of God who have my back, whose back I have. I look around and all I see is provision on provision on provision on provision. If I'm caught up in what might happen or in fears of the unknown, then yes, I can understand how we're not going to feel as grounded. But sometimes the simple gesture of look around, the God you serve has amply poured out. His grace and mercy and blessing and gra- on top of you, on top of you, on top of you, on top of you. It's literally never ending if you choose a perspective that is one of thankfulness and not of one of what I don't have. For this reason, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Is not there more to this life than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more than they? Are you not worth more than a bird? And who of you, by spending all this time worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you worried about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work. They don't labor. They don't do anything but what they were designed to do. That's the idea Jesus is trying to get across. They do what they were designed to do. And so I tell you that not even Solomon, the greatest king of all Israel in terms of wealth, Solomon in all his glory was not even clothed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the unbeliever eagerly seeks after all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now if you have a rational brain, there's a lot going on in this passage. whether it, you do not have to be a Greek scholar or a biblical scholar to read this passage and find things that are seemingly problematic. To begin with, this whole idea of for this reason, it's taking us from this place of understanding that we don't live to serve what we can see. We live in service of what is unseen. Sounds like Hebrews chapter 11, doesn't it? For faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Jesus is trying to get us to this place where we understand, look, don't store up earthly treasure. He just talked about that. See what you have as a blessing and as a gift from God. And most importantly, understand that how you see what you have is a reflection of who your heart is devoted to. It will either belong to you or it will belong to God. So for this reason, do not worry. Most of us grind every day so that at some point we don't have to grind anymore. We worry when we think we might have to do this forever. I had a conversation with somebody today. Man, why are you why are you so, so I can retire? And I thought about that. Man, I could see how, I mean, if if you're, if you're concerned about some point, I just want to lay down and not have to get up. I mean, I could could see how that might drive you to just grind to no end. I want there to be enough at the end. Or or maybe how uncertain the future is has some of us grinding and working and and doing all those things to prepare for that uncertainty. If I could just get enough set aside, if I can just prepare enough in advance, then whatever happens with the economy, whatever happens with the world, whatever happens with whatever... I'll be ready. But statistics tell another story. Most people work hard to have the things they want. Most people work hard because if they have some idea, like, have any of you ever thought, I want to buy something, but it's outside of your budget? And so you think, well, what I'll do is I'll pick up a second job or I'll sell some stuff or I'll. And so we make preparations in our life. Right. So that we can save up the money that we need to buy this thing. That's one reason people do it, that do it. That's one pe- reason that people grind. I, I just want to save up for the things that I want. I, I, there's a life that I desire to live, regardless of where where we get it in our head that this is the life I want. We spend a lot of our time grinding to go after that. We worry about what we have. We worry about how much we have. We, uh, we worry about what others think we have. We worry about keeping what we have and adding more to what we have. Have. Or here's the thing that's always blown my mind, and don't misunderstand me when I say this, because there's been times in my life where I've had this too, but some people grind so they can fulfill their bucket list. Any, don't raise your hand. Wait, you Do whatever you want. Anybody have a bucket list? You're scared to a little bit now. You're like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Tell me what you're going to say, Pastor, than then I'll tell you what I got a bucket list. I was sitting at my, in my study, and I was just, I couldn't read enough on this passage of Scripture. I couldn't find, and I was running out of things about this passage of Scripture. And I came upon this idea of the, the, the reason people work so hard and spend all their times laboring. For many of us, you know, we don't have a choice, like, if I don't work, I don't, I don't have a house. If I don't work, I don't eat. If I don't work, I don't have anything to wear. It don't matter that it came from TJ Maxx, the thrift store. I got to be clothed so I work. You got to understand, I understand that Satan's influence on this world is mighty. Scripture teaches us very clearly that God gave over the world once sin entered in to the prince of the world. And so many of us at the end of the day, we're just grinding to survive, to pay our bills and to do the things that we need to do so that we can make it from this day to the next. There is some of us, though, who have, I'm so scared, I'm going to say it anyway, we have extra and we don't know why. We think we know why. And we behave in a way that suggests that the extra belongs to us. Thank you, sister. But I was sitting at my desk and sometimes, sometimes on rare occasion, I sound educated. But sometimes I just say what is actually in my head. And I was sitting there thinking about this idea of a bucket list in light of everything that I was reading on this passage and in light of the language. And most importantly, what got me hung up, and we're going to talk about this in just a second, is how the first century church interpreted this specific passage. And I got to thinking about this idea of a bucket list. And don't think of it in terms of there's a that you can call it that. Just think of this idea of extra, this idea of we have expendable resources, and how we tend to use them. And I was sitting there at my desk, and I was like, the Grand Canyon ain't got nothing on Streets of Gold. That's just what popped in my head, right? It sounds maybe childish, but it's 100% true. Like, if we, when we, oh, man, I can't even, I don't even know how to put this into words, but we're thinking of living our lives so that we can see things that are garbage in comparison to what God has for us in eternity. When you walk into heaven, you're not going to see and think to yourself, uh, Grand Canyon's pretty. <laughs> the Braves win the World Series. Uh, streets of gold. Braves win the World Series. I <laughs> That's not what it's. You are not. Your, your physical body cannot even be in the presence of what you will see. Regardless of which of these cover your reasons for living the way that we live, grinding the way that we grind, what I noticed about every study that I could find, some of them were where they weren't even educational studies. They were just where they polled people about what their purpose was, why they were living, why they did manage their money the way they did. What I noticed as I got to the end of this list, I even started thinking through the reasons why I save. So don't this isn't a me, if I can just get all you... To be like me. No, no, no. This is us in here together, right? I'm even looking through all the reasons. And you know what I noticed about these reasons that I've listed here and then the other reasons that I was able to define? Is that not one of them have anything to do with seeing what I have as a gift from God. It kept pointing towards this idea of I've got to take care of me and mine whether it's for pain or pleasure whether it's because you have to or because you want to or because whatever it is there's this driving force that i am the only thing i can depend on All my excuses, all my explanations, all my reasoning pointed towards this idea that what I have is a gift I've given myself. So then I began to understand what worry really is. It's it's a sign of human influence. It's not a sign of God. It's not a sign of his presence. It's not a sign of his faithfulness, which makes sense when you consider what worry is. Let's just stick with the logic of Jesus' argument. If Jesus' argument is just taken at face value, then worry is the result of a lack of genuine belief in God's goodness, mercy, and provision. What I have doesn't actually come from him. He's not actually going to take care of me. That's what worry is grounded in. If you, look, we're, just keep, we're, not, we're not discussing right now. We're just going to say, hey, at face value, what is Christ saying? If you provide for you, be worried. If God provides for you through you, relax. He's going to take care of the things that you're worried about. One person put it this way, worry is practical atheism. It's offensive to God. Worry is behaving as if there is no God. In other words, a person who completely and with their whole heart believes that God is their blessing and provider, they don't worry. Listen, I spent a lot of my life trying to rationalize, no. That's too simple. That's too practical. Worry is more complicated than that. It's grounded and rooted in anxiety. I would come and I spent all this time trying to talk through excusing myself for worrying, excusing myself from the fact that it's going to take a lot of work for me to get to that place where I trust God wholeheartedly. And what I would rather do instead of work that hard is just figure out a way that I can stay right where I'm at. Because it was hard enough to get here. But that's not what refining is. The refined piece of metal doesn't come out of the fire almost perfect. It comes out perfect. God's refining fire isn't a process that's just to get us to that place where, you know what, I'm okay where I'm at. Are you okay where I'm at? I mean, it was hard enough to get here. Let's just sit here. That's not a refining process. Anyway, that's a piece of metal that at some point has been taken out of the fire and discarded. And so the major problem that many of us see here, and because if you're, a, if you're a worrier, if you're anxious, or even if you're a planner without worry, you're just constantly thinking about the future, you can look at this and say, there's got to be more to this passage than just what's on the surface. For instance, there's a promise in here found in the statement, all these things will be added to you. But in fact, I know Christians personally and many Christians in the world who have been homeless or without all these things, but they don't lack faith. So while I see that God is talking about provision and trusting him and not losing heart and having faith, there's obviously something else going on here because there are homeless Christians in the world who have great faith. Some people believe that this, in fact, must have something to do with this idea that, that, that while you may not have what you need now, if you, have in, if you have faith in Christ, you'll have it in eternity. The problem with looking at it that way, that's true, and that's an easy way out. I like that explanation. The church loves that explanation. You know why we love that explanation, church? Because I can look at someone who's in need and tell them you may not have it now, but one day in eternity, you're going to have it. What's missing? I send them to you, not to send them back to me. See, but I like that explanation because it co- I don't have to do anything. I don't have to reach in my pocket and help. If it's just about eternity. I don't have to come to the mobile pantry and serve well that, look we're gonna have we're gonna have manna that never runs out in heaven. praise God, but Jesus' language is present tense, your needs now, your hunger now and even the remark will be added doesn't specify or 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 connect this passage to the future tense and so you see Jesus not just talking about worry in the present being addressed in the eternal but he's talking about worry in the present and how it applies to being met right now today and then it hit me Jesus spoke to the masses, but his message wasn't for everybody. And it wasn't so much that God was withholding anything, but people don't want to give up what they're comfortable with. And Jesus knew that most people would not be able to hear or receive the kingdom of God because they didn't want it, not because it wasn't free. And so Jesus spoke in a way to where only those who could hear it would hear it. In Matthew 13, the disciples came to him and they asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's key. That's key right there. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given. And see, here's the beautiful thing. Not so that you'll have more. Because people who have more and who have been given the ability to see why they've been given it, they are generous and understand that their resources are given to them to be used by God. So no matter how much more God gives them, they just continue to be used more and more by him. It's not an opportunity for me to have more. Oh, look, I'm getting more and more and more and more and more. It's not, look how much more I can serve. Look how much more I can give. Look how much more generous I can be now because God's given me even more. And he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he shall, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they don't see, and while hearing, they don't hear, nor do they understand. Is this what the church's problem is today? Like, are we giving ourselves way too much credit? Like, because we showed up here on Sunday morning when we read this, we just get it? Or because we really, really want to? then that means we have it. I mean, I feel like a Pharisee most of the time because the Pharisees walked around knowing it. The problem was he didn't know them. They had tons of knowledge, but it benefited them. It served them. They have tons of wealth but it benefited them. It gave them recognition. And I wonder if that's what's going on with us today. We can't hear what God is saying because we've created this life that we've always wanted, and it requires that if we we love Christ, if we follow after him, then we have to give it up. I mean, look at how God breathes this same story through Luke to rich people. At the end of this this sermon on worry, he says, So sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, before you make the mistake of thinking that this is going towards our times of giving and tithing, you're, you're missing what I'm trying to tell you this morning. That's not what this is about. This isn't about the church. People need to give more, so we need to do a sermon on giving. That's how I was raised. But that ain't what we're talking about. I don't care if your tithe check changes or not. That doesn't belong to me. If that changes, it better be because God said so. This is about all of our resources, not just finances. Like, I've noticed a change in this church since we got what we thought we needed. You see, when we were in the school, we didn't have enough angels on the tree Now we're hoping people take extra. When we did school drives, when we were in the school, we had too much school supplies. We didn't have enough families that we could serve Thanksgiving meal to. But then we got what we thought we needed. And for some reason, everything changed. We give less now during Christmas than we used to. We are calling people sometimes and asking them, Can you take one more angel? I normally take three, I'll take four. Like something changed in our hearts. Like, we became satisfied. We got a building now. We got God gave up. We're established now. We can just relax. That is, you know what Jesus is talking about in this scripture? (sighs) To some degree, it's summed up in Peter's words to Christ in Mark chapter 10. Peter began to say to him, behold, we've left everything to follow you. We've given up everything. We have declared all things yours. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father. Listen to this. Or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake. But that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers, listen to this, listen to it, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, and then just as good, persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Wait a minute. So let's just say, for the sake of discussion, that I leave this message and go home, and I'm like, you know what? Taking this literal. Babe, pack it up. We're selling the house. Where are we moving? I don't know. We're going to sell the house. We're going to give all the extra to the mobile pantry. All right, well, let's just load up the vehicles. I already sold them, too. Sold everything, cleaned out the bank account too. I gave it all away. That's what Jesus is saying that these people have done. But then he says that they will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers. But, But Peter never had another home, but he never lacked a place to stay. Peter never had another family, but he never lacked. Supportive brothers and sisters and children and resources. Christ's provision was that here's what Jesus is saying. When you seek me with all your heart, I'll flow out of you, and I'll meet the need through you. If the church will be the church, then within the church, there'll be no need because the church will meet it. Don't take my word for it, though. The first thing that I did when I read this Scripture, and it started to mess with me in terms of how I've always understood it, was I thought, I wonder what the church did in response to this passage of Scripture. Maybe that will shed some light on what God expects from us in terms of, because here's what I'm pretty sure of. Kevin. Don't go sell all your stuff today, okay? Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, look. You know what? I feel that because that brother's a faithful brother. I'm, I, you know, don't go sell your house today unless the Lord tells you to. I know some of you are crazy faithful enough. You'll be going. You got that extra room right at, on my doorstep, and I'll be like, Oh, yes, I do. And so what I did was I went, I went to see, like, what did the church do in response to this? Like, these men and women who sat there and heard Jesus saying, you've given up everything, I'll replace it. Don't worry about food and tangible things because that's not where your treasure is. This is where your treasure is. Those things are just resources that will burn in the fire. Acts 2:42 They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Do you know what the early church, the Apostolic church, you know one of the signs that they considered miraculous and, and awesome when a Jew would come to faith in Christ? You see, we read this, and if we don't know the history, we think they had something we don't have. But it was a miracle. When, new, when all of those people were being saved, in the, my, in the minds of those Christians, they were witnessing Moses and the Red Sea parting-type miracles. Jewish people who were captivated by a dead religion being made alive in Christ. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Don't misunderstand that. They didn't all agree on everything. As a matter of fact, a few chapters later, they're fighting over something. That's not what it means. It was talking about the unity that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. And having favor, not just with the believers, but with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, Pastor, what you're saying is, everything I have belongs to God. What do you think? Well, if everything belongs to him, you're saying that means he gets to use it however he sees fit. Well, if someone takes something that doesn't belong to them, they're just a thief. They can't be holy. For God to remain holy and perfect and righteous, he's not taking anything. He's just using whatever belongs to him. I don't, oh man. I'm not expecting, and this is just, this, this just goes to show how we go right back into our position as human beings. I'm not expecting us to solve world hunger. But I do believe nobody in this church should be in need. You see, the apostolic fathers, these are the men who sat at the feet of Peter, James, and John, and then continued the ministry. So you can go read Polycarp's works and those men who were discipled by the apostles. And their translation of this scripture was, we don't give so the church will be wealthy. We don't give so the church can buy land. We don't give so the church can get youth buses. We don't give so the church can pay staff. We give so that the church can be God's hand of need in the time whenever he decides. There'll be four of us, but that's enough. So I'm not expecting us to solve world hunger. But I do believe we can make holy dents in this community. But we've got to stop waiting for somebody else to do it. See, I'm about to tell you that this coming Saturday's mobile pantry, over half of the people that normally so- show up to make sure that happens, they're going to be out of town. And if we respond how the church traditionally has come to respond, we're going to all sit here and think someone else will sign up and go do it. Let me tell you something. When you have that conversation with yourself in your heart, that's God telling you, no, you will do it. You will do it. We're about to have a food drive. Did you know Carrollton had a soup kitchen? So I called them and I said, what's something? Well, we called them with an idea. We want to have a Thanksgiving dinner. We want to serve anyone in the community who wants to show up. But we want you to primarily invite the people that you serve, like the people who come there because they need, if they don't eat that Monday and Wednesday, they're not going to eat that week. That's who we want to come. And we want to come in. We want to serve them Thanksgiving. But we also want to eat Thanksgiving with them. She said this to me. She said, Well, we have a guy who does that and he's been doing that. So, what y'all could do? And so I asked her, I said, Let me ask you a question. So, you're telling me that if we don't come do this thing for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's going to happen anyway. She goes, yes. I said, well, what other need do you have? She said, we can't keep our pantry stocked. It's like there are people who come here, it's mostly families with young kids, and they come during the holiday break because their kids aren't in school, and so they're not getting free and reduced meals, and so they don't have anything to eat. And so they'll come here, and we'll provide for them. And she said, we never have enough. She said, we will spend in three weeks $15,000 and it won't be enough to feed the people who will come here. You're going to sit on your couch feeling ashamed this Thanksgiving because you ate too much. Don't lie. That's what I do. I eat enough for my whole family and some of y'all's. There's some people they don't they're not going to have Thanksgiving. And we have an opportunity. Like what happened? We walked on the ro- We walked on the road to Emmaus and we encountered the living Christ. And we walked away with burning hearts within us and over time we've allowed them to be extinguished. Don't misunderstand me. I don't want a church full of people that respond to a message like this by putting more money in the offering so someone else will do what God has called them to do. Keep your stinking money. I want us to serve again the way we used to. I want us to provide for people The way we used to, not going into some event or something so that we could hand out something so that maybe they'll take it, read it, and come to church. This isn't this isn't a a a church growth strategy. This is a church faithfulness change. You see, Jesus is saying in a nutshell. I'm going to sum it up in one sentence. Don't worry. Because people are going to hear the gospel and they're going to respond, and I'm going to transform their lives, and they're going to be full of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to start dictating what they do, and they're just going to give, and there's going to be so much, and you're not going to need that day. You don't have food, call to church, they'll take care of you. Understand something too. Clear your minds. I'm not talking about call generations church on the. I'm talking about you reach out to Christians, and because of the heart that is within them, that is no longer the one they had, but the new one that I've given them, they will take care of you. Those are my. Pe- Don't worry about food and e- if you ain't got something to eat, call your pastor. You know what he's going to say because he's an actual Christian. Come over and eat with me. I could sell my house today and I would have a bed to sleep in. You know how I know that? Because I'm looking into the faces of people that I could call and say, hey, we just sold our house and we don't have a place to stay tonight. Can we stay with y'all? Not only would many of you say, yes, you can come and stay with us as long as you need. That's what Jesus is saying. Can we be that again? Like, I literally told this lady on the phone, we're going to do this food drive for you. And you know what I thought in my, in my stinking heart? I mean, we'll probably take four. Based on what we've been doing, we'll probably take four or five bags up there. I don't know what happened. Maybe it, it's happened to me, too. It's like we just got comfortable because we got everything we need now. And I'm going to tell you one thing that I know for sure. Would you stand this morning? When you get to heaven and you stand before the throne, a sound system isn't going to be sitting there. When you get to heaven and you stand before the throne, a 401K won't be sitting there. When you get to heaven and you stand before the throne, A Dodge 2500 with a turbo diesel Cummins won't be sitting there. Nothing will be sitting there but the God who created you. And he will look at your life and he will reveal to you the treasure of your heart. And if he could hold it in his hand, what would be there? Father, this morning, I don't know what, yes, I do. God, I don't, I don't feel guilty. I'm just thankful that you continue to reveal yourself to us through your word and through your grace and through your mercy. You give us another opportunity to be faithful, to live for what really matters. And just coming here on Sunday, that don't matter. God we want to we want to we want to be everything that you envisioned your church would be. And we're not always going to get it right cuz we're humans and we make mistakes. We thank you for your grace that covers us when we do. But God in the meantime we just want to be faithful. If we can if we can make a a dent, a holy dent in, this, in the people's lives in this church that come to generations, but also within this community, God, pour us out. In Jesus' name, amen.